Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know the mantra is that in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And nowhere is that more true than in marketing and selling. And today, we're going to talk about marketing and selling optimization, how to connect with a buying audience in a meaningful way that delivers maximum ROI for growing businesses. This is so important. We're in a highly competitive and a disruptive marketplace where leadership confidence is actually a bit on rocky ground. I was looking at some research from Deloitte that was trying to assess the confidence level of C-suite executives. And what this research showed is that CEO confidence fell from 55% pre-pandemic in 2019 to only 35% post-pandemic in 2020. And that same drop in terms of confident CFOs happened. In fact, it fell almost in half during that time. And it's also fell a bit with chief marketing officers. So there, there has been this effect in our crazy, unprecedented times in terms of the leadership confidence. And there may be a tendency for that to lead to focusing more on productivity or efficiency types of initiatives that could come at the expense of more human-centered initiatives around customer engagement and societal impact. And that's exactly what buyers are increasingly looking for, authentic human connections. So I am really excited to have my guest today joining us, Kristen Zhivago. Now, she said that marketing is broken and she's determined to get it working again. Kristen has become one of the leading experts on the customer's buying process and was one of the first to see selling from the buyer's perspective. She speaks and teaches worldwide for companies and organizations. Kristen has also spent decades as a revenue coach, helping clients ranging from thriving young startups to those in the Fortune 500, including Dow Jones, IBM, and Johnson & Johnson. Kristen is also a very accomplished author, including Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. Kristen is now president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing management company that provides digital marketing management and revenue coaching for her clients. Kristen, you're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast, but we're coming together to talk about marketing and selling optimization. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you so much, Dan. appreciate it. So I, I want to go back and looking at your bio, you've had decades of experience in helping uh, marketers and in coaching leaders achieve success. And I'd love to find out what originally fueled your own passion to pursue this marketing and selling focus and take a more entrepreneurial path in building your own agencies and consultancies. Actually, it started when I was 17. I was the first woman to sell machine shop tools um, in the U.S., as far as I know. They gave me a catalog, sent me out there, and no training at all. Just figured, you know, it was back in the days of the miniskirt and that I'd be fine. 
<laughs> and I learned the hard way when one of my calls, I walked in and everybody came out to see, you know, what I was doing there in the machine shop. And the old, old guy said, okay, um, all right, so this is fine. Um, so tell me how your drill bit is better than the one I'm using now. And of course I couldn't answer the question. I walked out of there with my tail between my legs. And at that moment, I remember standing out in the parking lot and thinking to myself, I'm going to learn everything I can about technology and selling. And I've been doing that for the rest of my career. That's what started me on this path. And it's just been an endless quest to improve and solve the actual deep problems that people have, um, the barriers to the sale, so to speak. So I've been doing that ever since. So interesting. A defining moment in the machine yes. shop. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so as you, you went on your journey and you, you built up your experience in, in working and helping uh, a wide range of different companies, you know, grow their own businesses, what have been some of the most challenging aspects that you yourself has faced, you know, along this, this very interesting journey you've had? Well, actually, the challenges were, you know, I did a lot of marketing and sales department turnarounds for companies. So I would go in and, and the hard part there was I was working with teams that were already developed. Um, and so I had to make that work. The wonderful part now, since I started this company in 2017, is that I have been able to build my own team. And it's just been fantastic. I mean, I really believe that, honestly, the answer to business is is I know everybody's going to roll their eyes about this, but it's all about love. It really is about taking care of other human beings and meeting their needs. So that's what this supporting the buying process concept is all about. What do they want to buy from you and how do they want to buy it? And the buyers are in complete control of the buying process. Um, it's not a matter of persuading people anymore. It's a matter of meeting them where they are and, and helping them through that process. Um, so I, to me, it, it's the hardest part in, on, for my business is helping people understand that the customer is in control and they need to move aside and get their ego out of the way and all of their assumptions and understand what the customer needs and give it to them. Um, so that's, that's the biggest problem. I don't, I don't really have a problem managing people. I'm very strict about the kind of people we bring in. We have a, a rule. We don't work with jerks, whether they're clients or internal people. And so I have this wonderful environment where nobody makes it hard for you to do your job because we're all helping each other all day. Yeah. And you talked about the building of your own team. And I would think in that hiring process, I mean, one of the important things is really beyond just technical skills, is really determining, is there a great cultural fit, right? Because they, mm -hmm. you, you want the right people with that right passion and attitude to really uh, support uh, your vision and mission. Yeah. And I, I do recruiting for clients because I started out as a headhunter in Silicon Valley years and years ago after that selling machine shop tools and a bunch of other selling jobs. Um, and uh, recruiting has actually gotten very difficult lately because people are actually very good at selling themselves. I mean, even if you do a video interview, they present themselves well and mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. But I'm finding that there are folks who, who think that they're really experienced about something and you start working with them and then you discover how much they don't know and how much they don't know about what they don't know. So it's kind of sad. Um, 
that's something it's getting harder to screen for experience. So a lot of clients are saying, well, okay, we'll try you out for three months or something and, you know, just see how, how it works out. Yeah. I would think that vulnerability in an interview process of really being open and candid about, you know what, I, I, I don't fully know that. And there is that reluctance, right? And it's so much more painful down the line by not being transparent. So mm-hmm. you're, yeah, I definitely relate to that. Now, we're living in really dynamic times, right? These are really different kinds of times. And I'm curious, you've been at this for so long. How have you seen marketing transform and change over the past, say, 20 to 30 years? Oh, there's really two levels. There's There are two aspects to this. One is the tools. So the channels, um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all gone digital. And the reason I started this, this agency is because I saw so many established businesses who had done a wonderful job of taking care of their customers and providing good products and services, but they were losing market share to their more tech-savvy competitors, and they really didn't know what to do about it. It's very complex, requires a lot of specialists, and each specialist requires a certain type of management. You have to understand what you're managing, which people don't understand typically, which is why we call our company a digital marketing management company, because we help with that. Um, So I think the channels, the places where, you know, we don't advertise as much anymore in magazines and newspapers or even on TV, it's all gone online. Um, That's completely changed. The fact that the buyer now has every tool available to them to find out about the product or service before the manufacturer or the seller even gets involved. I mean, I was one of the first people to say that by the time they get to your salesperson, they've probably done, gotten, say, 80% of their questions answered. That's, that's really different than it used to be. The thing that hasn't changed is we're still selling to people. And they have concerns. I talk a lot about, I think we're probably going to talk about the customer's mindset. But yep, yep. to me, the the most important thing is the customer's mindset when they set out to buy. It's more important than the person, persona and dyna- all the demographic work that you do and everything. What's really important is their mindset. And I define their mindset as having desires and concerns and questions. If you know what they really desire, what they really care about, and everybody thinks they know, and they're usually wrong, and I learned that by interviewing thousands of customers for hundreds of companies, and they were always wrong about what they thought their customers wanted. Um, And then their concerns. What problems have they run into trying to do this before? How did it not go well? How were they disappointed in the past? What are their concerns about how it might fit into their environment and things like that? And then the specific questions that they have. If you don't address those concerns and desires and questions immediately when they come to your website, they're going to bounce out and go somewhere else. So the, the, the whole dynamic of this has gotten much faster. People can click away and just go somewhere else. That's changed drastically. They're not limited. They always assume that if they just enter it properly in Google, they're going to, or Amazon, they're going to find exactly what they want. Um, and people just aren't prepared for this. They're just not, not moving fast enough to make this work for them. Right. Well, we definitely want to explore a bit more 
this desires, concerns, and questions. But before mm-hmm. we get there, Kristen, you know, mentioned your book, Roadmap to Revenue, where you talk a lot about the importance of marketing and selling the way your customers want to buy. Can you elaborate a bit more on what that's all about? Yeah. And one of the things in the book that I bring up, um, I identified what, what I think of as the four levels of scrutiny. And when I say this, everybody knows, once I explain it, they all know where they fall on the scrutiny sale. But there's four types of products and services in the world based on the amount of scrutiny that the customer applies to the purchase. Light scrutiny, medium scrutiny, heavy scrutiny, and intense scrutiny. Light scrutiny is impulse purchases. They're cheap. They're a fast purchase. You see it, you buy it. It's the candy bar at the checkout counter and that kind of thing. Not a lot of questions. No one else is involved. Medium scrutiny is more like clothing or some kind of software program where you have some questions. There might be somebody else involved, but usually not. And then heavy scrutiny is when there's a salesperson and a contract and a lot of details. So that's cars and houses and on the B2C side. And then on the B2B side, it's more like um, expensive, like ERP systems yep. and you know big, big expensive uh, purchases. And then intense scrutiny is all of that heavy scrutiny stuff, but you get married. It's a long-term relationship. It's ongoing. And the goal is to um, answer so many of their questions and address so many of their concerns when they come to your website or look at some other of your marketing process that for you at your end, by the time they come to you, they only have a few questions. So in a sense, it feels like a light scrutiny sale because you've done everything you're supposed to do to get them queued up for that last moment when they just have a few more specific questions. Once you understand that, and I in my book, I, I actually map out those the, the buying process for those different types of sales. Um, and when you follow that, it, it makes your whole marketing and sales effort get a lot more streamlined and organized and logical. Yeah, it makes a, a lot of sense. And we, we started talking a little bit earlier, and it, you've called this out a lot in your work, the importance of mindset when it comes to successful marketing and selling. You talked about desires, concerns, questions. Can you dive into that a bit more? Like how, how do I ensure that I can properly identify in those, those very important categories of customer needs so that I can be more effective? Yeah. um, In my book, I talk about the method that I ended up using as a revenue coach. Um, And again, this was thousands of interviews, hundreds of companies. So it really was tested out in the market. And basically what I found is if you have a telephone interview with a customer and the goal is to reverse engineer a successful sale, That's basically what you're trying to do. You're trying to figure out what that buying process was that they went through so that you could be there at every step. So you interview them by phone. You set up an appointment ahead of time. You tell them you're trying to improve your company and that kind of thing. You just want to ask them some open-ended questions. By the way, surveys are a complete waste of time and money because it's your assumptions turned into questions. So not even worth doing. Um, get them on the phone, ask these open-ended questions, and they're all in the book. Um, Things like, how do you Mm -hmm. feel about our product and service? Um, 
what were you looking for and how did we meet your needs? Um, if you were searching for this in Google, what would you type in? Uh, if you were the CEO of the company tomorrow, what's the first thing you would fix? I always, always get um, great answers to that question. Uh, what trends do you see in your area? Um, uh, you know, just these open-ended. And so you, you really, and what was your buying process for this type of thing? So you get that information, you have the conversations recorded and transcribed. You just tell people ahead of time that you're going to record and you can't type as fast as they can talk. But the comments go into a report that's categorized by subject. So it's completely anonymous, which makes them comfortable because they know then they won't be tied to their comments. Mm -hmm. And in the report, you say, here are all the answers we got to this question and all the answers we got to that question, which really focuses everybody in the leadership team typically um, on you know what those issues are. These are our strengths. These are our weaknesses. We want to promote our strengths now that we understand what they really think they are. And we want to fix our weaknesses in the background so that you know we, we get we are better at serving their needs. Um, and anybody can do this. I mean, I just laid it all out in the book. It's absolutely spelled out. I didn't, there's no fluff in that book. It's instructions. <laughs> it's how to yeah. find this roadmap to revenue. Um, and you can put it to work right away and then you do this report and then you all have a meeting about it. But I also do a summary and recommendations report. So I turn those comments into bullets basically. So you can look at it and really get the essence of what people are saying. And then you have a meeting, you talk it all through, you decide what to do, and you're you're off and running on the right road and starting to adjust everything so that it's in sync with the customer's buying process and their mindset. Yeah, I really like that open-ended conversational approach. There's so many companies uh, that I've been involved in that seem to gravitate towards the, and maybe it's an expediency thing, uh, Kristen, around the online close-ended questions, we can go out, mm -hmm. get a bunch of data back, and mm -hmm. we can, can then we can create all all, all the sorts of tables and mm -hmm. draw conclusions. But what you're saying is that that at the end of the day, that isn't really going to get you where you need to be in terms of really truly understanding the customer need. No, and and the sad part is that's what most companies do, and it doesn't work. the The good news is, surprisingly. You only need to talk to five to seven people of a given type. So if you're selling to the CEO and a VP, you would want to talk to both mm -hmm. um, in order to see bank, to get bankable data. And it's shocking. I mean, I remember Siemens hired me once and they said, we need to talk to 40 people. I was like, you're just wasting <laughs> your money. It's just... And that's what happened. I mean, they insisted on it. And by the 10th interview with these engineers or what, I just knew, I mean, we had the data. Yeah. And so I, I did give them value for their money by continuing on. And in the later interviews, I said, after the person gave me all their answers, I would say, well, you know, I've also learned this from a few people. Can you give me your input on that? So I helped amplify it because I just didn't want to waste their money. But um Really, but the fifth or seventh conversation, it's very, very clear what the issues are and what you need to do. It's it's really, and by the way, it's extremely confidence inspiring. 
it's one of the best ways to, to finally feel like you know what you have to do. There's no big, oh, gee, should we go this way or that way? You just know where you need to go. And, and it removes the arguments. The so many people say, oh, we can't do that because that's not how we did it at our last company. And, or at our last company, we had so much success with whatever, which may have nothing to do with what your company should be doing. Every single company, even companies within industries, every single company is different. What they expect from you is different. How you produce your products and make decisions is different. And so you shouldn't just be blindly copying other people um, or things that people have already done past. Yeah, that is so true to try to remove the inherent personal bias that comes from your own business experiences into a more objective state that's all driven by those customer responses. So I, I think you're spot on there. And, you know, we hear a lot about the importance of collaboration. Mm -hmm. So much is a critical ingredient when an organization is trying to achieve its strategic objectives. From your perspective, and you think about the relationship inside a company between the marketing and sales teams that are trying to work in unison, right, towards achieving some sort of a goal. What do you think are the key dynamics in terms of that relationship when it comes to collaboration? Well, one of the reasons I called myself a revenue coach is because I knew CEOs didn't really care if sales made this sale or marketing made this sale. They just wanted revenue. So, and, and in fact, if you look at the customer's buying process, it's one thing. They don't care if it's, I mean, the customer doesn't care if they're getting their answers question uh, or questions answered from a salesperson or from a marketing document or site, whatever. They just want the question answered. They just want it to be easy. Um, so the, and, and by the way, I should say that one of my most successful clients replaced their salespeople with customer service people. And all they do is try to make it easier for the customer to buy. I mean, this is somebody who read my book and really, you mm -hmm. know, drank yeah. the Kool-Aid and, and put it into practice. He's an operations guy and just brilliant running of the company and doing what he's doing. Um, and their revenue shot through the roof because that's, they're, they're not, they're not depending on people who are on a quota and they're trying to persuade and push, which does not work today. People do not want to be pushed into anything. They don't want to be persuaded. They want to be helped. So, you know, that's, they finally bit the bullet, made the change and man, it's really taken off. So I don't even think, I, I honestly don't think there should be a big difference between um, sales and marketing. I'm not even sure they should be in separate departments. I mean, it used to be really, really important when people were depending on salespeople to answer 80% of their questions, but that's not the case anymore. They only need a few questions answered. They don't want to go through the whole sales pitch. They just want those questions answered. So there's the whole sales thing calling, you know, if somebody comes to your website, if you do what you're supposed to do to get leads from various methods, from content and um, search engine marketing and social and online advertising and all those things that, that catch people when they're in the buying mode, and they come to your site and they click on something. And then if you follow up within 15 minutes with a phone call, and this is more of the B2B side of things, mm -hmm. but yes. that's where it's hardest. It's really been hard for people to sell B2B as this whole digital transformation has taken place. But if you follow up while they're in the mood 
while they are thinking about this, they don't even mind that you're stalking them because now you're being helpful. You're not interrupting their day an hour later or a day later and coming in. You're, you're doing it while they're in the mood and they're on that subject. They actually will appreciate it. And again, I've seen amazing growth from companies that take that extra proactive step and go after somebody right at the moment of interest and then start answering questions. The chance of you making a sale in that situation is it just exponentially magnified. Yeah, and I think something else that that jumped into my mind as you were talking there is that as these uh, times have changed and the way in which buyers inform themselves a bit more self-service um, in that regard, does the, the skill set that is most important in the positions that are customer-facing, has that really changed and evolved? So we need to be, as leaders, if we're looking to fill out our teams, do we need to be recruiting differently when we think about marketing and sales? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I will also say that marketing used to be 80% creative and 20% logistics. And now it's more 20% creative and 80% logistics. It's automated, it's tools, it's apps, it's um, setting up schedules, it's doing follow-up, it's working with automated, automatic follow-up and AI and nurturing mm-hmm. campaigns. Yeah. And it's just extremely tech-oriented. Yeah, the landscape is constantly changing. It's something we talked a little bit about earlier in terms of how to get the best uh, assessment of customer needs. And we know that getting true customer insights is so critical in a company's decision-making journey. What do you think makes for the highest quality of customer insight collection? You talked a little bit about some open-ended conversational approaches, but just more holistically, just thinking about uh, continuous insight collection. And are there mistakes maybe that you've seen, Kristen, that we want to make sure we avoid when it comes to developing and executing on that kind of research? Yeah. As we talked about, the survey thing doesn't work. Um, And also a lot of the people that really are interested in your products will not take time to do a survey. So it's, it's just... It doesn't, that doesn't work. And the other source of information that CEOs often say to me, well, you know, we don't need to do customer research because um, my salespeople are out talking to customers all the time. And then I look at the CEO and I say, okay, when was the last time you told a salesperson what you were really thinking? And they kind of go blank and they're like, oh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) okay. Uh, you're right. I've never told the salesperson what I'm really thinking because when we are buying, we're playing poker, we're negotiating, we're asking questions. We're not telling the salesperson that some offhand comment he just made blew it. And we just decided we would never do business with that company if that's the way the guy's talking and because of something he just said, but we don't tell him that. We don't ever say, oh, you know what? You just blew it. And I, although I, I will say, because I train salespeople, I, I do say that sometimes to a salesperson and say, <laughs> you know what, you just said something that completely lost you the sale. Okay. So I'm not going to buy from you, but let me give you some advice. Um, but that's rare. I mean, that doesn't happen. What happens is the customer just clams up, doesn't say anything, smiles nicely to the salesperson, shakes their hand. And the salesperson goes back and says, hey, boss, you know, I got a new one on the line. It looks real good. Everything looks great. 
and the customer goes back to his computer and starts looking for an alternative, right? So we don't tell salespeople what we're really thinking. And if you are interviewing, one of the things I say in my book, make sure that you don't start selling while you're interviewing or correcting the customer. Like the customer might say, oh, they don't have X, Y, and Z. And you know that a month ago you released X, Y, and Z. And you can't say, oh, yeah, but we just put that out. You can't get defensive and say, we just put that out and, you know, you're wrong. Because it changes the whole, now you're not just humbly taking in their advice. You're you're counteracting and um, pushing. And and so they'll just clam up. Um, So that's part of the interviewing technique. And I do talk about that in the book. But um, this takes some humility on the part of people doing the work, which is why people don't like to do it. It's very uncomfortable. They don't want to be told things that they hope aren't true. Um, They don't want to face the truth. Uh, it's uncomfortable. So they, they tend to avoid it. And it's just the biggest mistake they can make. That That is the big mistake because then you never know what your customers are really thinking, what they want to buy from you and how they want to buy it, which means you're not going to sell effectively. Yeah. It's, it's really a form of denial almost, right? Of not wanting yeah. to face the uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. then your patterns just get perpetuated and you just get stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously we are in such unique times. There's so much market volatility. We've got unknowns that are still out there that are shaping where businesses head and the strategies they're setting. But in the midst of all that, Kristen, when you think about the future, what makes you optimistic? Well, first of all, I do believe in capitalism. I think that uh, it works. It's always worked. Um, It's not the prettiest, cleanest system in the world, but there is no such thing as a perfect system. Um, But it's better than than the opposite. Uh, You know, letting the customer lead the way and and having people try to meet those customer needs and get paid for it. It's it's pretty good. So I'm always optimistic on that level. It's just I'm a I'm a serial entrepreneur. I just, you know, that, that to me is, um, there's a lot of hope there, um, where if you, and it goes back to that whole love idea where you're taking care of other people through your products and services and providing a happy place for people to work. I mean, that's, that's pretty good contribution to society. I'm, I'm very happy with, you know, being a, a person who does that. Um, so that makes me optimistic. I will say something that um, that people don't really realize right now, but the thing that is working for any type of product or service is going above and beyond. So you don't just answer their question about the measurement of the system that they're buying, you know, this physical object and how big is it. You actually show close-up pictures and you do a 360 view and you show reviews and, you know, Amazon's really set the bar on all of that stuff. And it's amazing to me how many companies have not copied what they're doing because they're very good at making it easy for you to spend money at Amazon. Um, And they do it by just keep adding value to keep answering questions, even letting customers answer other customers' questions and do reviews and stuff like that. It's just been uh, an amazing, you know, that's why Jeff Bezos is a billionaire. He's also a billionaire because 
He was a process company from the start. It didn't matter he was selling books. And when he first came out, I thought to myself, wow, this isn't a product or service company. It's a process company. That's what, and then, so they just applied that to every product in the universe. Um, So I'm actually very optimistic. I find that the companies that keep thinking, how can I give more value? How can I make it easier for them to make a decision, to learn about this? What can I do to just make it easier for the person? Those are the companies that are succeeding right now. Yeah, interesting. And as we wind down our conversation, Kristen, do you have any other final advice for marketing and sales leaders that are seeking to rise above the competition and to make a positive impact every day? Yeah, I, I, the, the most important thing I can tell to marketers is you don't have any power until you are the expert on the customer. Marketers often feel like they're ignored, especially in tech companies where the engineer is king and or the developer is king and the and the um, the finance guy is is you know or the gal is the the one that the CEO listens to, and that's because it's all sort of hard data. In engineering or development, it works or it doesn't. In finance, it either balances or it doesn't. Or the money comes in, uh, more money comes in than goes out. You know, it's just it's very straightforward. And marketing is just so subjective and based on opinions and assumptions. And it's just, it's like a playpen for the, for the corporation. It's the, it's, it's where things are just muddy and, you know, and, and very often there's not enough definition of ROI or what we're supposed to be tracking or what we consider success and all of that stuff. I have, really literally turned around the careers of marketers who hear my speech or read my book or whatever, and they get brave and they, they do this research themselves. You know, I wrote the book because I can't do the research for every company in the world. And I knew every company needs this. So I just put it all out there. Here's how you do it. And the people that have done that and presented that data to the executive team Everything changes after that. Every single time you have a discussion and somebody says, oh, I don't think we should do that. I never see those. I never do that. So I don't think anybody else would, you know, the focus group of one problem. And the marketer can say, no, hang on a second. I just interviewed five customers or 10 customers and, you know, they said this. And so everybody has to shut up because the customer is the one with money in their hand. And if you're not listening to them, then you're pretty stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where the power comes from. And once they get that, everything changes and they suddenly become the chief revenue officer and the one who absolutely makes the company turn around. So that's what I would, my advice to any marketer out there is, you know, learn how to do these interviews conduct them yourself. When I did marketing sales turnarounds, I would always do that first before I went and started turning around the department. Um, And it it did. It gave me the power that I needed to get the job done. Wow. Well, Kristen, thanks again for joining and sharing an inspirational message and an opportunity for marketers to be bold and to go to that uncomfortable place, but in Mm -hmm. return, being able to make true transformation happen in their organizations. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, Roadmap to Revenue, and all your decades of revenue coaching and business leadership experience. Thanks. I enjoyed it. 
And a reminder to all of you to please continue providing your feedback uh, on the podcast. You can do that very easily by going out places like Spotify or Apple Podcast and just sharing your feedback in the spirit of just how we can make this podcast even better. And as always, a reminder to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.